if you would please open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where we will pick back up where we left off two weeks ago. In here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we took a look at the first eight verses of chapter 5. We looked at the addressing of immorality in the church, and we will take the second part of that here and finish up the rest of the 13, uh, covering a total of 13 verses here in chapter 5. You remember, there is a problem in the church. The Corinthian church had a problem. They allowed the things of the world to creep inside the church. They allowed the world to change and mold and shape the church versus the change being the light and the salt that it's to be to go out into this fallen world and to change the world. And because they allowed that to take place, we saw in the first part of chapter 5 Paul addressing the immorality, the sexual immorality taking place in the church. There was a guy who got mixed up with his father's wife. Most believe referring to the stepmother. Now it appears that the stepmother was not a believer because nowhere in chapter 5 is the stepmother addressed at all. It's only addressing the brother, the guy, who's having that relationship with that woman. And Paul is very straightforward. He doesn't soft, he doesn't allow to say this is, oh, you know, eventually this man will come around. Or eventually maybe, no, no, he addresses it straight on and says, this is sin. This cannot happen. Is immorality, and the church it was accepting it. If you saw, and if you remember, and you look there, you can see that they, it was widely known that this was taking place. And that the church, the believers, were turning an eye to it. They, were, they said, it doesn't affect me. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to address it. For whatever reason, they allowed the sin to continue in the camp. <clears throat> Paul says it cannot happen. He was looking at the leadership and said, how could you allow that behavior to continue in the church body? The church is not to be looking like the world. The world needs to look at the church and say that is a completely different way of thinking, a completely different way of living. They're just be set apart. But they weren't. They blended like the world. Matter of fact, this man and this woman, this church was allowing something even the Roman government said you could not do. Incest was not right. It wasn't, it's not, it's not natural. It's not good. It's, it's wicked. So these are 
Roman government, the Gentile, the non-believers understood that relationship between that man and his stepmother or his father's wife, it was not right, it's wrong, it should stop immediately. But they were allowed. And as we saw in Ephesians verse 6, that your glory is not good. You were allowing this, this sense of pride, the spiritual pride, saying, oh, aren't we loving? We accept anybody in the church. They can be in habitual sin. They can live that homosexual sin. They can live in incest. They can live in all this junk that they're bringing into the We're such a loving and intolerant church. We'll allow anybody to come in. We as a church will allow a non-believer to come here and to hear the word of God. Not a problem. But if they come in here and they say that they're a believer, a brother, and a sister in the Lord, they're a Christian, and they continue to live habitually, that is not acceptable. They will say, you're not saved. Has to be dealt with unless until they repent, they must be gone. That's what the scripture says, as Paul is very clear with you. Okay, then why? In verse 6, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Leaven in the scripture is referring to sin. That piece of dough that you took away, of sourdough, you took it apart, you set it aside, because you're going to take that little lump and put it in the next batch to then allow that to pop up, that he's to be activated to create another bread, and that's how they make bread. You're going to allow that one lump, that one person, to, that sinful person who does not want to get rid of that sin, they want that habitual sin, they love that lifestyle, they don't want to change. To continue to be in the fellowship, it's just like leaven. It's going to leaven. It's going to just spread like a cancer in the body to the whole lump. The whole body is going to be affected by this. It's only a matter of time. The Corinthian church was being affected. It's because they allowed the sin because they can't get to stay there. This is not talking about someone who says, oh, I'm trying to overcome the sin. I keep battling it. I keep seeking counsel. I keep looking and reading the word. I just cry out and keep asking God to take it away from me. And then, you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking to someone who says, I am in this sin and I love this sin and I have no desire to get rid of it. There's a difference between trying to run away from that sin, get away from the sin, and keep seeking to catch up to you if that person's habitual sin and doesn't matter. Well, if you're just grabbing hold of something, well, you're okay. You're just okay. There's one sheep. Spirit. 
provide that legalism. If you're going to bring legalism into this church of grace, it is, it's, it's going to permeate and it's going to hurt the flock. Legalism cannot be. You could also have the leaven of the Sadducees, which is the carnality, the liberalism. I'm free to do whatever. God loves me. I can live it however I want to. This is what the Corinthian churches were dealing with. It cannot be. And if you let people in the church to live in fornication, sexual immorality, and but not addressing the immorality in the church, it will spread and it will affect the whole body. And, Jesus, and Paul continued in verse 7 and 8, as we saw last week, therefore purge out the old leaven. You must get rid of that. You must be a new love. You've got to start fresh. You've got to get rid of that one. If you are truly unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was a sacrifice for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerely want to help them. You sincerely want to tell the truth. You sincerely want to help them. But they have to make that decision. They have free will. They have to choose to repent of their sin and ask for forgiveness, Jesus will forgive them. We will forgive them. We will allow for a door to open back and keep that door open so that if they repent, they can come back. We want them to come back. They choose. See, the day before Passover was called the day of preparation in which the Jews would remove from their house every trace of leaven, every trace of yeast in that house in preparation of the Passover, that six-day feast of unleavened bread. They would literally go from the top to the bottom in every corner. They would completely clean that house spotless. Because their conscience needed to know that they removed every It wasn't just some ceremonial thing they were doing. God actually removed that for to, to for their safety, so that over time, using that same lump over and over, there was that risk of food poisoning or get, getting contaminated. So once a year, it had to start from fresh and new. So it had to be to be to stay pure from going forward, so they didn't even have sickness from a natural perspective. They had to purge out the old leaven. The Passover feast in Exodus 12, all leaven and yeast must be removed from the house. Nothing should be left over from that. Paul is telling them that in reminding of the Jews here and all the people how to give them an analogy and understanding of why it was important to remove all leaven from their midst of the church. The sin in the church had to be removed. It needed to be removed so that there was no unrepentant sinners in your midst, because if you have unrepentant sinners in your midst, they gradually will affect those in the body. Unrepenting sinners, prideful, arrogant, but in this case, sexual immorality type people, they will eventually look for the weak sheep in the flock, and they will find like-mindedness. It affects them, it affects 
Paul here in the scripture connects them to the period of Passover. Jesus is in fact our Passover lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God who shed his blood to deliver us from sin, John 1.21. 1 Peter 1.18-20. Whose blood was shed for the judgment of for the judgment of God must pass over us, we are to live in the purity that Passover spoke of. Now, if you remember the story of Passover, God said that the angel of darkness is going to pass through your house. So before that happens, you're going to have to take that spotless lamb, you're going to take that blood, you're going to put it on the post and the doorbell on top, it's forming like that cross, and as the angel comes over, he's going to see that blood on that post, and it'll pass over, and death would not happen for those who were in that house. There's a covering, there's a protection. And we are under the blood of Jesus. He's, his blood has covered us for our protection. Jesus is our Passover. He sees us sinless, positional. Yes, we're practically, we're still dirty, rotten sinners. But positionally, because we put our trust into Jesus, positionally, we're sinless. Because he sacrificed those things. So that we could be redeemed in sin. That we could be holy, Christ-like. Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And he continues in Romans 6, verse 18, having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness, free from sin, no longer a dominating power of sin in your life. See, when you finally make a decision to surrender your life, and open up your life and say, God, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. And you admit I'm a wicked woman, I just need to be saved for him. He will come in and he will cleanse you. He will free you from that sinless bondage. He's your Passover. He is going to help and protect you. He changes your life because this Christian life is marked. Now, in your life, as you grow and mature, you're going to see the same markings of a Passover, which is salvation, which is liberation, which is joy, which is purity from sin. That's what Passover means. That's our desire. This, must, this, this is probably 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is 3 Corinthians because there obviously was an 
another epistle somewhere that he wrote because he says, I wrote to you in my epistle. What did he say? He obviously warned, the, warned this church once before in another letter that said you cannot have this sexual immorality taking place in your church. That individual sin must go. That person has to go. And for some reason, they did not purge it out because he's writing it again here. We see in 1 Corinthians. They weren't obedient. They weren't listening to the counsel. Here's the apostles counseling them, writing a letter. You must do this. And they chose not to listen. That's not, that's not wise. When you get godly counsel, you should do. Don't not do. Because it's going to just get worse. It's just going to be a spiraling. It's going to get worse and worse. It's going to affect more and more people around you. But obviously there was a previous letter from Paul, and the apostles wrote many letters, as we know, but not all letters were for the church as a whole from that time to this time. So only the, the letters that the Holy Spirit preserved were made in, in, in what we see here in the, in, the, in the Bible. But this letter obviously was for that particular church, that particular time, and the way that God used uh, Paul at that moment to write that letter to them, to specifically to speak to them about it. That's why it never didn't make anything about it, because it wasn't, the Holy Spirit didn't need it or want it into the scriptures as we see today. What he says there, he says, I wrote this epistle so that not to keep company with sexual immoral people. What does that mean? To not keep company. That means you should not be mixing together with them. You should not be associating with them. You shouldn't be mingling with them. You shouldn't be hanging out with them. If it's an unrepented sinner, they don't want to change, then they've made their decision, and God says you not to spend time with them. As much as you love them, as much as you think you're going to save them, you're not going to save a person. Only the Spirit of God is going to touch their heart and change that person. So when they have been confronted and they have been addressed and they choose they choose their flesh, they choose the world and not the things of God, you are not to mingle with them. You're not to associate with them. But he continues, Paul continues, and he clarifies here in this letter, the first reading, he clarifies what he wrote in the other epistle that we have not, we don't have, and he says here, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous or the exorters or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. <laughs> He's like, I didn't mean when I said in the last letter that if these people are you know, in the sin of sexual immorality or, or covetousness or exhorters or idolaters, any of these type of sinners who don't want to stop, I'm not talking about the non-believers. Of course they're going to act like that. They're non-believers. That's exactly how you and I behaved before we came to Christ. You expect that. That is it. That is non-believers. I didn't say you had, you stopped having association with them because how are you going to share the gospel with them if you avoid all the, the non-believers? We want you to go and spend time having a cup of coffee and spending time and sharing with them and, and sharing the gospel. We don't go to just hang out with them. 
You go in there and share the gospel and look to see how the Holy Spirit's going to use you in the lives of those non-believers. Because if you have avoided them, you have to leave this world. You have to get on the next, uh, uh, you know, uh, Musk uh, shipwreck or the ship. Rock your spaceship and get out of here. <laughs> but you know as well as I do, you can't avoid non-believers. You go to work with them every day. You have neighbors to your left and right every day. You go to the store every day. You can't avoid them. There's people out there today. Let's go find an island and we're just going to bring great, you know, tested, you know, members of the church kind of people. We're going to isolate ourselves and we're kids are never going to interact with it. That is not what God calls us to do. We're to share the good news with the people who are there. So Paul's clarifying very clearly. I'm not telling you to avoid Paul. Because Paul's a sinner. He had to leave this world. He can't do it. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother or sister. Okay? I've had that come up on well, the scripture says I only have to avoid brothers. It doesn't really do that. But the sisters do. And I'm not. Don't try it. With anyone named a brother or sister here who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater, a reveler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Remember, eating back in those days, that was a personal thing. When you invited someone over to your house or you had a meal together, you're saying, ah, this is a close, intimate fellowship. You had, you, remember, double dipping, that was important back in those days. You know what I'm saying? So you want to make sure that the ones who are going to be around you are going to be your brothers and sisters. But if they're a brother and a sister, who is an habitual sin and desires not to change, you are not to have fellowship with such a person. It's very clear. Not to touch. Not to touch and not to interact. The unconscious person is someone who desires to possess something from another. You know, of you have this and I don't have it, you're rich and I'm poor and all. It, it's, it, it can completely ravage a person in relationships. They desire to possess something from another. An extortioner is someone who is describes who will steal by violence or by force. A reveler is someone who criticizes another with anger and bitterness. They come after you and they angrily and bitterly come after you and they try to criticize everything you are doing. And when you have a rival, you're not willing to touch. Why?
today, eating with someone is an expression of friendship and partnership, and you feel like if you just had another meal with them, if you just spend some more time with them, somehow you're going to convince them. Until they're open, until they recognize their sinful nature, and they're willing to repent, the right way is to allow them to be separated from the wonderful fellowship of love of brothers so that they can feel the impact on their decision to live in habitual sin. The challenge is, is back in these days, when the church removed someone, they didn't have another 400 churches like we do here in the county of you know, Jefferson County to go to. They only had one church. They felt the feel of emptiness. They felt the the, the removing out of the fellowship of love and the protection that God gives to the fellowship. They felt it completely, but not in today's day. Today, people just go back and forth and they go look on the internet. I can have my own church, but I watch the internet. Completely not understanding the scripture. They'll forsake the fellowship because they'd rather not deal with people. So they continue in their sin, so they don't have to be reminded, convicted. They just keep up teachers anywhere they go, who won't allow and tolerate it. Just like the Corinthian church. You know, I want to live in habitual sin. What church around here will do that? That's what happens today. They'll find it. Find your choice. They'll find it. But that is not scriptural. And that's the challenge today. And we see today that many churches will look at you and I who will not and think we're the ones that have the problem. Oh, we're messed up enough. We're all sinners coming together, we're going to say. And we're coming together, but it's by the Holy Spirit and the unity of love in Christ that God works these things out. So I'm not talking about We're not continues here, which is very interesting. He continues and says, what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Who are we to judge the non-believers outside the church? Who are we to do? You're not even judging the own, your own people inside the church. How can you go 
there and judge other people when you don't even deal with the issues in your own life, let alone in the church. That's not right. He says, you do this. But those who are outside, God judges. Don't worry about the non-believers outside the, the church. You're not the judges. God is the one that judges. So He's the one that's died for them. He's the one that's working in their lives. He's the one that's maybe bringing you into their life to share the good news and the gospel of Christ so that they can, they can their heart can be gripped and they can finally realize they're a sinner and need to be saved. And turn their life over to Christ and say, yes, I'm a sinner. I need Christ. Please come in now. Save me. <laughs> then that now believer comes in, in or God adds to the church he brings into the church. Now we do what? What's our mission? What's our vision? To disciple them up. To teach them the word of God. To encourage them in their walk. Allowing God to patiently by his grace to do a work in their life. Purging out the leaven that's in their life. Learning and growing and maturing. And things that of this world and the flesh start fading away. And things of God become more and more dominant in their life. That's how it works. You know, brother, they all that wicked. Gentile sinner over here. All these are wicked people over here. Who are you to judge? Let God deal with that. His responsibility. You deal with what goes on within the church and in your life. Why do we come to the communion table? So that we can judge ourselves, examine yourselves, make sure there's no wicked way in you before you come and commune as unity of the body. By God's grace, he allows us to be self-examined to be able to repent and, and to cry out to God, I, how, how did that leaven get into the house? How did it, that, the things of the world of flesh seep slowly back in after I got purged out and there was just nothing in the house and no sin? How did I allow that to come back into the house? So when we come to the table, when we come to communion, when we come and we have those opportunities where, where God, you hear the word of God, and God is pricking your heart, it's causing you to go, oh, I've done that sin in my life. I know it's not sexual immorality, but I know it's this. It, he's speaking to your heart, just in your mind. You've got to immediately say, God, forgive me. Give me the strength to change so I live my life because torture affects my life. And I know by the scripture it will only matter time it will affect. Eventually, you're going to learn. You're going to stop cleaning those joints up until you address the issue. 
get to the root problem. And that church did not do itself. See, in the beginning, verses left to right, he's dealing with the church, the church leadership. You've got to deal with it. You've got to make a hard decision. It will grieve you. You will weep and cry, and you will lose sleep over having to remove someone from the fellowship. You will be in pain over this.
We still accept you. We still you can actually be made and be around us. It doesn't matter to us. Then they'll never have a desire to change. But when you say to them, okay, you're going to go outside of church, you're going to have your fill. You want sexual morality? You want it? Just don't bring it into church. There's plenty of people at the bars. There's plenty of people looking on the internet for people like you. Go have your fill. But when you finally stop spinning out of control and you hit bottom, and you repent and you want to change, we want you back. We want to restore you. We want to love you. We want to help you. Not just some Follow them, you know. Father gave him his part of his inheritance, didn't he? Said, you want your fill? Go out. What happened? He went out there and had the prostitutes. He had and spent his money. He had a, but what resulted in when he got his fill of the flesh in the world? What does it leave you? Empty. Isn't that the word that comes to your mind? It leaves you empty. He was in up with the, the swine, the pigs eating the corn, the leftover corn. He realized it was better to be a slave with his dad in his dad's house than to be with there in the world where they were. And it changed. And maybe some of you here would say, but why? Are we doing something? So Paul had to write another letter to address said and dealing with these things with the individual sin within the church, then you would imagine how many less lives would have been affected. That's why we, we tripped and started to see the point. You know, the yes, there's a Matthew 18 and another sequence of events. Yes. Thank <laughs> you. 